This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For November 2nd, 2018. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the software, hardware, and security updates Apple has just released. And there's a lot to talk about. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. So it's another one of those weeks where Apple comes out and announces all sorts of new products. We'll discuss that in the second half of the show. Let's just get rid of the easy news first. Apple has updated everything again. That's right. Yeah, Apple had a big event this week, and they released a new version of iOS 12. We've got new emojis, in case anyone cares about that. (laughs) That that bagel emoji. You know, I had wondered why there was such a stink about the bagel emoji, but the fact that Apple was doing this event in New York, in Brooklyn, of all places, that explains Uh, it. Yep, there you go. You got to have the bagels. For, For those who weren't following, the first draft of the bagel emoji looked sort of like a frozen donut. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people complained. So Apple had to update it by putting some cream cheese in it. Yeah. Now, I grew up in New York. You do not put cream cheese in every bagel. <laughs> well, it wasn't just bagel emojis. There were some other cool things, too. They finally introduced the how many people is it that you can have in a FaceTime call now? I believe it's 32. And that's really quite impressive. I'm looking forward to finding 31 other people to test that with. (laughs) Yeah. It's not easy to get that many people at the same time to try it out. I'm going to guess that it's not going to work too well when you've got that many, but you never know. In the early days of iChat, you could use iChat video and you can have a group conversation. And there were very strict requirements that one computer that was hosting the conversation had to have a certain processor and a certain amount of RAM. So the computer that would start the conversation. And here I haven't seen anything. It's as if all of this, I'm assuming, is going through the cloud and Apple is managing all the processing on their end. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, and at the same time, I mean, all of our devices, our iPhones and everything, have much better processors than they did way back in the iChat days. Better processors than our computers had in iChat days. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes the big difference. Exactly. So we've had updates for iOS, for macOS, for Apple TV, for HomePod. Before the show, we were discussing that We both follow this Apple security mailing list, and they send an email for every individual update saying, here's everything that's been updated security-wise. Yeah. And on on Tuesday after the event, when all the updates came out, I got dozens of emails, dozens of them. Yeah. But there are so many security updates that it's hard to pay attention. Now, I know, Josh, that you've spent a day hiding in your secure location to go through all of this to find out (laughs) which of these we need to be aware of or which of these are just interesting enough to discuss briefly. Yeah, sure. You know, it's always kind of interesting to me to just browse through these updates. And Apple has a security updates landing page on their site that you can bookmark and, and, you know, look at anytime they come out with some new updates. There'll be a link in the show notes, of course. If you're really interested in the geeky stuff. I mean, this gets really geeky. You know, so they released Mojave 10.14.1, which had a number of security updates. And then they also, as Apple does, they released security updates, only just security updates, not feature or, you know, anything else improvements for macOS High Sierra 10.13.6 and also for macOS Sierra 10.12.6. 
And it's important to note that Apple is not releasing security updates anymore for El Capitan. That's officially done as evidenced by the fact that they did not release updates for El Capitan this time. Apple typically releases updates just for the current and two previous versions of Mac OS. And for iOS, only for the current version of iOS, interestingly enough. So we did get uh, iOS 12.1, which we mentioned. Uh, it has a lot of features as well as security updates. tvOS, watchOS uh, were both updated. Safari for Mac was also updated uh, with some security fixes. But that was part of the macOS update. So if you if you were running one of the three operating systems that was getting an update, would you see that separately? I don't recall seeing it separately. Well, the, the way that Apple does security updates... Um, on 10.12 and 10.13, Sierra and High Sierra, you go to the App Store app and uh, you do see the updates grouped together. If they're system updates like the security update plus Safari, you will see those grouped together typically unless you expand it and get the details. Well, actually for Mojave this time, I downloaded a standalone updater because it was three and a half gigabytes and I have Victorian internet. And I didn't want to have to do a direct update twice to my two Macs. So the Safari update was rolled into the security update because I didn't have two separate update installers. And when I go to the software update preference pane, it tells me that my Mac is up to date. Okay. And then there were two others that were updated. There's uh, uh, an update to iTunes for Windows and iCloud for Windows, which I can't imagine that too many people are really using iCloud for Windows, (laughs) but iTunes, I'm sure, is still pretty popular on Windows. iTunes is popular, yeah, but there must be some people who are using iCloud for Windows. It's not... Imagine that you're using your Apple products, but you have to work on a Windows PC in your computer. By the way, I'll I'll have a link in the show notes to an article I wrote on the Mac Security blog recently, how to access iCloud via a web browser, because it can be very useful to access it via a web browser. The iCloud for Windows is software that does run in the background for some types of syncing, but it's... It's not a great solution if you're on Windows. I mean, iCloud is really made for the Mac and iOS. Yeah, well, really all Apple software is originally designed to, to run on, on Apple hardware. Well, but as, as, much as, as much as Windows users complain about iTunes, iTunes on Windows is quite good. It's pretty much the same as iTunes on the Mac, whereas iCloud is different since you can't hook into the system the same way. So Apple, as, as they occasionally display on their developer website, they show the percentage of devices that are using the latest operating system and the previous operating system. And it's up to 63% for iOS 12, 30% for iOS 11, and 7% for earlier than that. I know a couple of people who have iOS devices like iPhones that can't run the latest operating system. So it's understandable that some people aren't updating because they don't, just don't update their iPhones very often. Right. They, they still got an, an older model that doesn't support iOS 12. When I look at these numbers, what, what this means to me is that 37% of all iOS users have vulnerabilities that an attacker can exploit, right? Exactly. You're the half-empty guy. <laughs> But, but I agree, it's 30, 37% are not up to date and do not have the latest security updates. And what I also think is interesting about this is that Apple doesn't really do a good job of notifying you that you're no longer going to get operating system updates. On iOS, you just don't get updates anymore. And so if you're really following Apple news and you know, hey, iOS 12 is out and you go to check for updates and there aren't any, 
Well, then you might realize, oh, okay, well, I've still got iOS 11. That's fine. I don't think I really need the features of 12. But then what you don't necessarily realize is that you're also not getting the security updates that come with the latest version of iOS. Right. Now, to be fair, iOS 12 supports every iPhone from the 5S to the present. So the 5S, the 6, the 6S, the 7, the 8, the X, and this year's. Now, that's seven years of iPhones, or the current ones plus six years previously. It includes the iPhone SE, which is about a year and a half old. So those people who only have, who have a six-year-old iPhone are people who maybe don't use the iPhone enough to worry about upgrading, maybe don't care as much about security. I don't know. I, I would say that compared to Android, where you generally don't even get security updates, going back six years is actually quite good. Yeah, you could make that argument. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely, I've always been of the opinion that Apple needs to do a better job of informing users when they will no longer get updates, when they can no longer get updates because of their hardware. Yeah. Interestingly, iOS 12 goes back to the sixth generation iPod Touch, which was released in July 2015. That's only a little more than three years ago. The fifth generation from 2013 to 2014 is not supported. Apple still sells the iPod Touch. And as I noticed in the Apple Store 10 days ago when I bought an iPhone, the point of sale device that the people carry around with them is based on an iPod Touch. It's not an iPhone. You could think it's an iPhone SE, but it's not. I looked at it closely. It looks more like an iPod Touch. And maybe that's why Apple still sells this device. I, I don't think they can sell a lot of them. Yeah, they probably don't. But I, you know, I, I know some families with teenage kids and that, you know, they don't necessarily want their kid to have a phone yet. And so they get them something that they can run their apps on if they have a Wi-Fi connection. And so an iPod Touch, you know, is potentially useful for certain use cases like that. So the date when the iPod Touch was last updated was July 2017, and that was just a very minor update. Um, I think prior to that, yeah, it was July 2015 when they when they came out with the last bigger bigger update to the iPod Touch. Yeah, I think they they did a tweak adding a color or something. So Josh, as part of your job in your underground secure environment, you keep your eyes on what malware is affecting the Mac. And you found something interesting, a website talking about some malware that they discovered, but they're kind of late, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, this was an interesting story to me because of the timing of when it came out. This organization with their Mac blog, they talk about you know Mac malware that comes out and this and that. And they talked about how they one of their engineers recently discovered some a new interesting piece of malware that exhibits some interesting you know whatever behaviors and it turns out we've actually been detecting that malware since January so it's not new to us but since it's in the news it's worth mentioning at least we call it OS10 slash search page injection and you may also see it in some headlines being called OS10 dot search awesome what it is is pretty basic malware. This is something that you would typically see as a stage two infection. So you've already got something on your computer infecting it, and then it pulls this additional malware in and installs it onto your computer. Basically, the gist of it is that it sets itself up as a man in the middle on your machine so that it can intercept and decrypt encrypted web pages. So we've talked before about how uh, you have a secure connection between your computer and the web server that you're connected to. 
normally when you think of a, the idea of a man in the middle, you're thinking of like somewhere in between my computer and that server, there's somebody intercepting that traffic. In this case, the man in the middle is a man in the machine. You could kind of think of it that way. You've got some software that's installed on your computer that's actually decrypting that traffic. And that allows them to do things like injecting advertisements, potentially malicious things, into uh, HTTPS websites that you visit. And so Indigo Virus Barrier will detect and eliminate this malware. That's correct. And it has since January 2018. There was also some some other news about uh, a Mac cryptocurrency ticker app uh, installing backdoors. This is just something to be aware of. We've, we've talked about similar things to this before. But um, you have to be really careful about where you get your software, for one thing. So try to get stuff from the Mac App Store, as we've recommended before, because usually you have a little bit better chance of it not being something that's going to harm your computer. Um, Unfortunately, though, things like cryptocurrency tickers, they're not often available in the Mac App Store. A ticker is something that gives you current prices. A stock ticker would show you know, the, the stocks that you're following, for example. Right. And so you might hear about this latest, you know, app and someone says, oh yeah, that get that coin ticker app. Well, it turns out this coin ticker app was actually doing some naughty things and installing backdoors onto your computer, which could allow an attacker to do all sorts of crazy things. They make your computer part of a a botnet, essentially, you're part, you're controlled by this command and control server now. So yeah, don't install CoinTicker. Well, it seems like anything to do with cryptocurrency is risky. Yeah, it does tend to be a target of attackers because, uh, you know, they know that these are people who are probably mining cryptocurrency. If you, if you're interested in finding out what the latest, you know, uh, value is of a particular currency, chances are you probably have some. And so you may have a cryptocurrency wallet somewhere on your machine. And they're typically stored in the same place on everybody's computer. And so if if they can trick you into installing some coin ticker type thing, then they have a way to get into your machine and steal your wallet. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all the things that's going to make Josh get his credit card out. Oh, boy. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, 
devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, Josh, did you watch the presentation that Apple held in Brooklyn, New York for the first time? Uh, you know, I, I didn't watch this one this, this time. I looked at the news, some of the coverage about it afterward. Did you watch it? Of course. I watch these all the time. This is part of my yeah. This is part of my work to be up to date on these things. This is the first time for, for me, it was at two o'clock in the afternoon. This is the first time it hasn't been at the end of the day because <laughs> it's usually what, 10 a.m. California time. And here they did 10 a.m. New York time, which meant a lot of my colleagues, journalists in California had to get up really early. <laughs> In order to watch it, so. Right. Well, and I was busy at 7 a.m. that day, which is why I didn't watch it. Otherwise, I would have, too. Exactly. But, yes, it was quite interesting. You know, we haven't seen many updates to the Mac in a while. You know, we had the iMac Pro, and they've updated laptops and all. But here we got updates to two Macs that I have particular soft spots for. The first one was the MacBook Air. Now, uh, when the first MacBook Air came out in 2008, I got one of those, and the difference between the MacBook Air and the other laptops at the time, this is when we had those white iBooks. It was night and day. It was so thin and light and, you know, you could hold it with one hand and it was just a wonderful computer. I had two of these and they were my favorite Apple laptops. I gave up on the MacBook Air when they moved to Retina displays because once you taste a Retina display, you don't go back. You know, the first Retina display I had, I think, was a MacBook Pro 13 inch and then it came to the iMac and you just, after that quality of a display, you don't go back. And I had long regretted, in fact, I bought a new MacBook Pro about six months ago. I'd long regretted that they hadn't updated the MacBook Air. They have the 12-inch MacBook, which isn't quite the same. So I was surprised and, and very pleased to see them come out with a new Retina MacBook Air. Yeah, this looks like a really cool piece of hardware. Um, now, this this MacBook Air does have USB-C ports. Well, it has Thunderbolt USB-C ports. So it's Thunderbolt 3 with the USB-C connector. True, true. Yeah, good point. So th this is now the port that you're going to use to charge your device, just like you've done with the 12-inch the MacBook and also the recent generation of MacBook Pro. Exactly. Which, you know, some people like and, and some people don't. I'm certainly going to miss the MagSafe connector because now, once again, you've got something that plugs into your machine that you can more easily trip over and knock your machine to the ground. Yeah, that's true. And I, th and I think the MacBook Air was the first one with the MagSafe connector. And that was really a brilliant way to connect a cord to the device. But obviously, the difference today is that a, a USB-C port can handle power and or data whereas the MagSafe port was only for power. So they're economizing in how many ports they need to be able to have power, data, etc. The biggest problem with USB-C is that, you know, when we've got older hardware, we have to transition to the new connector. And I've got a, I've got a mug on my desk with dongles to go into my 13-inch MacBook Air because I have plenty of USB-A, you know, the sort of rectangular USB devices. And we're just going to have to live with that for a few years. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of time. I mean, you know, it took, shoot, back when the original iMac came out, USB was not really that common at the time. Absolutely not. <laughs> it actually took a while before a lot of the manufacturers really started putting USB ports into PCs because they had, you know, eventually they had to keep up and, uh, and try to catch up a little bit. At the time... I was working as a translator, and there was translation software that was Windows only, and I had a gateway PC, and my gateway PC did have USB ports, and I looked at these at the time, and I thought, I don't know what these are for. Then when I got the first iMac, which did have USB, it was really interesting how all of a sudden 
peripheral manufacturers were making devices with USB. Uh, it had been more than a year that I'd had a PC, and USB was standard, but I had never seen any devices for it. So we were a bit in the same situation here. You know, we went through this with Apple already. We had FireWire, which was a great inter interface for storage and music devices. Then we moved to USB-A. Then, you know, we moved to Thunderbolt. The first Thunderbolt didn't last very long. And now, actually, what's good here is that Thunderbolt and USB-C are coming off the same port. It does simplify things, having these very small ports <laughs> that have many, many purposes. So that is a nice thing about, about the new ports. One thing that Apple pointed out, which is interesting, is that the MacBook Air is made from 100% recycled aluminum. And they say that they've created a new alloy and that they've recovered aluminum that's lost in the production of the iPads. If they can do this, this is really a good idea because, you know, when you think that they're machining a piece of aluminum to make an iPad and that there are bits of aluminum falling off, they make an awful lot of iPads and that's a lot of aluminum and recovering that is a big saving. Yeah, it's interesting, obviously, from both a cost savings perspective and also an environmental perspective. In fact, I, I actually kind of wonder whether it is cheaper for Apple to, to do this. Um, I don't know what the processes are for refining that aluminum and reusing that. but It might not be cheaper, but it's certainly good PR. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes Apple look really good to people who want to save the environment. So the second update, and this one was, I guess we kind of expected it, those of us who've been watching it. The Mac Mini that hadn't been updated in four years, that's four years, one, two, three, four, that's a long time was finally updated. It's a really nice update. It's got lots of ports. It's got USB-C. It's got USB-A. You can have 10 gigabit Ethernet. You can put up to 64 gigs of RAM. You can even get it with a two terabyte SSD. Although if you trick this out with everything, it's over $4,000. Suffice it to say that most people are going to go for the base model at $799. What it does is really interesting. So I have a 2011 Mac Mini. It runs a home media server using Plex. It backs up my laptop and I use it to store some files. I've always had a, a an appreciation of the Mac Mini. It's a small computer. And for a couple of years back in the day, I, I used a Mac Mini as my main desktop computer. It was really quiet. I wouldn't probably do that now unless Apple came out with their own display. What they've put in this computer makes it fast enough for many people to use as their desktop Mac. Yeah, so the, the base model is 799, $799, and that comes with a 3.6 gigahertz 8th gen Intel Core i3 processor. So it's i3. It's, a, it's on the lower end, but and it's got 8 gigs of RAM, which is really probably for most people that's sufficient. Yeah. And 128 gigs of SSD storage. Which is a bit small, but if you need more storage, buy yourself an SSD, a naked SSD. Buy yourself an external case for it using USB 3 connected to your device, because most likely any large amounts of data you're going to be using, you won't be using in a hurry. So, for example, my video library stays on an external disk and it's more than fast enough to stream across my home network. So at $799, I, I, I think that's actually a good deal. I'm not sure if it's for me for like a, a daily driver production machine, but it would certainly be fine for the rest of my family. So I'm, I'm actually kind of considering getting one of these. Well, the one thing I like about it is it separates the display from the computer and you have a bit more freedom in choosing what you're going to use as a display. With an iMac, if something goes wrong with the display, it's very expensive to repair when it's out of guarantee. And then you've got this whole computer that works fine inside, but the display doesn't work. 
if something goes wrong with the motherboard, you've got this great display, but nothing that can make it work. And and I've always felt that <laughs> while it's a convenience to have an all-in-one computer, if you're planning to keep it for a long time, it may not be the most cost-effective. If you don't need a great display, you can get the Mac Mini and you can get an inexpensive 4K display for a few hundred dollars. That's true. And it's funny that you should mention those scenarios because I've had exactly both of those happen to me with iMacs that I've owned. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I I definitely am leaning toward getting a Mac Mini at this point. Uh, now that they finally updated it after four years, for goodness sakes, I've needed a computer for like the last two or three years. And I've kind of been like, eh, you know, Apple probably going to come out with another mini soon and well it took him a while i just hope that they don't wait another four years to update it again because it's actually kind of embarrassing that they're selling you know devices this old and they're still selling the mac pro the trash can mac pro at three and a half year old prices with three and a half year old technology so the other big update and this is actually more expensive than the mac mini is the new ipad pro they have Remove the home button. They've slimmed down the bezels. The bezels are the black thing around the edge of the display. And the 11-inch and 12.9-inch models, because they're measuring the diagonal of the display itself, not the device, are smaller and wider than the previous versions. And they call this an all-screen design, but it's not all-screen because there's black stuff around the screen. You can see it. It's not, you know, like the iPhone where it almost goes to the edge. These look really impressive. They got Face ID, and Face ID, unlike on the iPhone, works in both portrait and landscape mode. So if you're holding it in portrait mode, you know, with the uh, taller than wider, it'll work. And then if you turn it to the side, it'll work as well, which is quite an exploit because of the angle that the camera has to be at to recognize your face. Right. I, I think that, that's kind of an essential thing for an iPad because... Uh, I mean, not everybody necessarily uses their iPad in portrait mode all the time. A lot of people just only use it in landscape mode. So, um, but yeah, that's that's really good that they pulled that off. You know, I, as I mentioned, I didn't watch the keynote live. And so I asked a friend about it who, who had watched it. I said, so they announced new iPads, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, did they put a notch? And he goes, no, there's no notch. You know, and then of course, after looking at it, now I can see why. It's because they really do still have a little bit of a bezel around the around the edge. Yeah, and a lot of people were thinking there would be a notch like with the iPhone, which wouldn't make sense because you can turn it and use it in the different directions very easily. I like a lot of the specs in the new iPad. I don't like the price so much. I'm thinking of getting the 12.9 inch, but at $1,000 or almost a thousand pounds over here, that's a lot of money. That's more than the Mac mini. And that's, that's the same price roughly as an iPhone. And the, this is what I find interesting that this year... Apple has managed to increase the average price of all the devices they're selling. The low-end Mac Mini is $799. I think there was a model at $499 previously. The MacBook Air is a little bit more than the previous price. So everything has gotten more expensive. And, you know, look at the new iPhones. The XS is $999. Even the XR is $750. So the average price of everything is going up. It's getting more and more ex expensive to use Apple products. One other new gadget that they came out with is a new version of the Apple Pencil. There are some interesting things here. Uh, it's no longer entirely round. It has one flat side. And I don't know, the whole round thing was just ridiculous because you'd put it on a desk and no desk is perfectly flat and it would roll off. It will connect to the side of the iPad magnetically and it will charge using inductive charging. So no longer do you have to stick the end of the pencil into the lightning port on the iPad. By the way, it's no longer a lightning port, it's USB-C. So this is the first move toward USB-C for charging 
iOS devices. I'm guessing we'll see that for the iPhone next year. But the new Pencil is $129. It's not compatible with older iPads, uh -huh. and the older Apple Pencil is not compatible with the new models. I really do like the, the idea of having a Pencil that just sort of attaches magnetically to the side of your of your iPad. I, I heard that during the, the demonstration, they showed that this is not something that's going to easily detach and fall off on, on the ground. No, no, it, seem, it seems to be quite solid. So you can get the 12.9-inch iPad Pro with up to one terabyte of SSD storage. And I believe that's $18.99. And I know someone on Twitter who mentioned he was getting one, and I... I asked him, I said, you know, I've been wondering why would people buy the one terabyte model? And he said, because if you get the one terabyte SSD, you also get six gigabytes of RAM, whereas the other ones only have four. Oh. And that was interesting because this is someone who's a graphic designer who will be using the new Photoshop, which they demoed this week when it comes out next year. And getting six gigs of RAM instead of four for a device like that could make a big difference. While 1899 for an iPad is a lot... If you are a designer and you're using this as your main device, then I think the question of price is is secondary. They also have the smart keyboard folio. Is this the first time that Apple has had a branded uh, Apple brand keyboard available for iPad? No, they've had them in the past, but this one's a little bit different. I think it's got two angles that you can put the iPad in. They say one for when it's on your lap and one on your desk, um, but they have had this previously. Now, of course, the previous models won't work with the new iPads, and this one won't work with the older iPads. So one of the problems here is that we've gone, this is the first time that there's been a major change in the form factor of the iPad. If you remember, the early one had flat sides, then they got to the rounded sides with the iPad 3, the sort of aerodynamic sides, which is what we've had until last year's models. These have flat sides again. So these look more like, these look more like the new iPhone where the sides are flat, unlike what they've had in previous years. So none of these accessories are going to work. I was surprised that they don't sell a smart cover anymore. I have smart covers for all my iPads. That's the one that sort of magnetically connects to the side, and when you open it, it wakes it up. But it only protects the front, not the back. They only have a, I'm not sure what they call it, a portfolio cover that does both the back and the front. And, and I've always felt it's important to protect the front of the iPad much more so than my iPhones. I've never put anything on the front of an iPhone. Yeah, they call it the Smart Folio for 11-inch uh, iPad Pro. And they've, unlike the Smart Cover, it protects both the front and back of your device. Right, and you don't really need the back protected as much, unless you're, I don't know, unless you're taking it out in the fields with you or something. Most people at home, I'd be more worried about dropping something on the screen and cracking the screen. In any case, I'm thinking of getting an iPad. You're thinking of getting the Mac Mini. I'm sure we'll find someone who gets the MacBook Air. I really, if I hadn't updated my laptop a few months ago, I would get the MacBook Air because I really like it. Okay, until next week, keep your credit card safe and stay secure, Josh. All right, stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.